Hey guys, welcome to Creator Stories. I am your host, Trent Anderson, and today we are super excited to bring to you Mr. Matthew Ray Scott. He is the principal at Feed, the agency, a brand marketing agency, does a lot of work in the medical and device world. Uh, Matthew and I chatted up about all things storytelling, what is storytelling, uh, how you can use storytelling in your business, and some of the first principles that uh, you can apply and bring forward to create better relationships with your customers and uh, clients. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Creator Stories brought to you by prewrite.com. We will see you on the other side. Today, we are super fortunate to be joined by one of the most majestic beards on the internet, if I do say so myself. Uh, and we're talking about how to leverage storytelling uh, specifically in the healthcare industry, but also uh, just overall in your business. And there's no one better at this than my good friend, Mr. Matthew Ray Scott, principal of Feed the Agency. Feed the brand marketing agency. They help surgeons attract more ideal patients and medical device companies share stories that make surgeons want to listen. Now, Feed was voted the number one healthcare agency by the AMA, American Marketing Association, for their best cause marketing advertisement. Matthew, welcome. How'd I do on the intro? Uh, Trent, I'm, I was looking around to see who that person was. It was great. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, you know, I think the operative component is stories yeah. and marketing at the end of the day is stories. I know that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm excited to dive into that topic. Yeah, excellent. And three main topics we're going to cover today. One, what is storytelling? Two, why should you care about storytelling in your marketing? And then finally, how to actually use storytelling. Um, so if that sounds good, Matthew, let's dive right in. Excited, yeah. Cool. So Matthew, in the, uh, the, the Matthew Scott, uh, which is uh, obviously by far and away a better dictionary than, than the Webster dictionary, uh, but in the Matthew Scott dictionary, what's the definition of storytelling? Yeah, I think it's, um, first of all, I think we could start off with context. And yep. the only reason why I say context becomes applicable is because we've diluted story or we've made the concept of story applicable in only certain industries and certain narratives. So what I would answer to what is story is story is the ability to create curiosity that gets people to want to know more and to listen. I think it's really that simple. Now, there can be a formulaic approach, which we can dive into later, which you and I have talked offline about, can story be learned? Or is, is story one of those things that you either have the ability to create stories or not? But I think context becomes important because I think we're living in a society today where we grab bits of information and in and of themselves, bits of information that is not rolled into a narrative that allows people to share what it is that you're trying to convey, it's not a complete story. It's missing a component. And storytelling, Trent, is something that since the beginning of time that we've had, yeah. and you can go from, you name it, you can go from scripture to Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Odyssey to more modern relevance of Donald Miller and story brand, Robert McKee, you know, looking at screenwriting and story. 
And what we have are people that have taken the approach of storytelling and saying, how can Trent and Matthew and those of you who are listening apply that within the context of our business or our organization? Awesome. Awesome. I think you brought up a really good point there too, with as much information as we're inundated with day in and day out. I forget what the the number is, but we see like 1000 marketing messages just being vomited at us at any given time during a day. Um, we get a lot of fact telling, right? We get a lot of these bits and pieces of information that might be relevant now. They probably are not, but storytelling kind of weaves these facts together into a narrative that helps us feel something or change our mind about something. Is that what you've seen similarly? Yeah, it's true. Um, by way of military background, I have a uh, psychological operations or a behavioral science background. Here's what I learned. Yeah. There's something called the amygdala. I don't know how to spell it, Trent, but, uh, <laughs> but there's something called the amygdala. And it's a component of our brain, which is associated with curiosity and interest. And so great stories have an expansive way to punch somebody in the amygdala. It could be factual, it could be pragmatic, it could be relevant, it could be contrarian. The scope of what makes an interesting story is expansive. Yeah. And so what I would tell people is our ability to string together thoughts into a narrative that answers the following questions. Why should you care? Why is this relevant to me? What problem does it help me to solve? And what are you asking me to do next? That is the components of storytelling as I apply them to busy surgeons, neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, people that have a distinct left brain, right brain component. And what I've learned is to take the emphasis off of somebody with MD at the end of their name thinking a certain way, and rather we have focused on what is interesting to them in a pragmatic way that leaves something to the imagination, incites enough curiosity that they email us or they pick up the phone and say, I want to learn more. Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly well articulated point and something I want to dive even deeper into. How do you find out what is uh, a curiosity point or what is something that's going to say, make someone say, hmm, I've not thought about it like that, and then pique their interest, give them the hook, and then get them through uh, that, that full process as you're talking about? Yeah, I think one way which is, is simple uh, yeah. is to ask, you know, just to ask people directly, what is it that you're interested in learning more, or what is a problem that you haven't yet solved that you need more value. But Trent, here's the way that I individually do it on LinkedIn. And I think for your listeners, this is going to be helpful. So I think of content in terms of creating a cadence. Mm. And one of the things that we teach, we have a course called the Medical Sales RX, the virtual operating room. And I, I tell our students, don't confuse three, four, five posts a day on LinkedIn as just wanting to get attention. Rather, think of that as a natural cadence to help you figure out what the heck you should be talking about. Yeah. 
So, so Trent, one of the things that, that I spend time on, and yes, the reason why I individually and members of our team, we post three or four times a day is we're going to let the marketplace determine what's interesting. If you develop content that aligns with a particular point of view or perspective that you're trying to probe or discover, you're going to have no problem in short order letting the marketplace say to you, whether through comments or likes or shares, they're going to say, that's a really interesting topic. And so I use LinkedIn as an intelligence post Mm -hmm. to help determine what are our client audience interested in? And then the third component that I would say is if you're going to be a great storyteller in your, in your industry, you must be exclusive mm-hmm. and not inclusive. Mm-hmm. You see, that's going to go against your gut instincts. Yeah. It turns out that if, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, Trent. Oh, tell me more about that. That's, that's a great point. Yeah, I think that the tendency for most of us is that we're over-inclusive. And if you're over-inclusive, i.e. you're creating story content for everyone, by default, you're under-exclusive. Mm-hmm. You're not interesting to a segment. Yeah. And you and I have had conversations before where I've jokingly slash seriously said, you know what, Trent? Our ideal client is a left-handed, one eyebrowed neurosurgeon that does minimally invasive spine. Yeah. That's not far from the truth. When, you know, so when we're posting, we have developed a persona Mm -hmm. of a person singular that we are trying to produce content that adds value that separates us from general information gathering in a way that they go, I see them everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And I want to dive into that too, because I really like how you guys frame up your LinkedIn strategy as a means of, of testing ideas in the marketplace, right? So if we were to draw a scale and the scale goes from left to right and it's sorted A to Z, A being beginner, Z being an expert, right? A lot of people don't think about what they're posting in terms of that scale. And the, the next layer to that scale is, the A is a total beginner, right? Uh, fresh off of uh, medical school. Um, and then Z is someone that is, you know, maybe somebody that, that my wife watches on Bravo reality TV show and he's doing all the plastic surgery for the stars that uh, are real housewives and all that good stuff. And he knows everything about personal branding because he's monetized it. Um, when you post content, you get to understand the quality of responses and the quality of interaction, and that's gonna help dictate more of your your future content, right? So if you post something that's really geared towards maybe somebody who's a a B or a C on that scale, and you're answering questions about why should I care about personal branding, or why should I care about branding it for my my practice, versus uh, like a what question, what do I have to do to become the number one uh, most recognized brand in, in my minimally invasive one-eyed or one-eyebrowed uh, practice, right? So I think uh, by using LinkedIn and, and content posted on LinkedIn, you can really start to understand where your audience fits along that scale and then help dictate future uh, content production. Does that sound similar to what you guys are doing? Yeah, it, 
you, you said it well, you framed it well. Um, here's a couple of I words for yeah. your listing audience that I think are important. I for identity, I for indifference, I for irrelevant. Hmm. And I'll expand on those. You see, I've got a theory, not just for brain surgeons with MD at the end of their name, orthopedic surgeons with MD at the name. Here's my theory. My theory is, is that doctors and take your particular listing audience and, and industry and scope, they know that content on social media is relevant and it works. But I, their identity is such that for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable posting or they don't know how to string together content on social media that they feel is helpful and relevant. So either they don't know how to do it or their identity as such, it's, it's too messy in their backdrop. Their suit is not perfect. Um, you know, it becomes perfection over progress at that point. So that's step number one. Step number two is indifference. We have to realize that in our chosen industries, there are people who are indifferent to what we call social media or creating brand awareness. They don't care. And as such, the third eye, they are getting ready to become irrelevant. And so I have this big boy, big girl conversation with brain surgeons and spine surgeons. And I say to them respectfully, I say to them, hey, if you're struggling over the decision-making process of are your ideal patients using their smartphone to gather bits of information of which you're either in that scope or you're not, if you say no, if you choose not to lead with compliant and creative value, by default, you're irrelevant. Mm. And I'm not doing it as a scare tactic for doctors. I just am tapping into what I know to be true in your industry and mine, which is if we have a client that is indifferent about the technology that we call social media, I go back to, hey, they've got a poor sense of identity or they don't know how to create content that matters to their ideal audience. And so I start with that framework, Trent, and I find that it's really helpful that in most cases, in, in our case, uh, physicians, surgeons, they go, you're right. I, I don't know what to talk about or to write about. And now we've shifted them 15 yeah. degrees to the left or right from indifference to teach me. And yeah. that's a great place to be. That's, that's huge. And that's what you're doing right now. It is. It is. <laughs> this is the meta part of the conversation. Yeah. Well, your, your um, positioning of, of the indifference, it leads me to ask another question too. Um, are you familiar with like the concept of curse of knowledge, right? So someone can be flying so close to the sun, they're literally world, world class, they might be top 1% of all experts in their field. And they think, gosh, if I, even if I do get content out there, well, how is anyone going to understand the, the intricacies of what I'm doing and, and the associated price tag with what, it, what I'm doing, right? And I imagine that's something that you have to help as, as kind of like a master orator yourself or a storyteller yourself. You have to give them stories and examples of how to extract these galaxy brain type ideas into things that can be consumed for, for their patients. Does that sound right? 
Yeah, and, and the terminology curse of knowledge is a good one. It's got a couple different dimensions. Yeah. When I hear that, and, and I've heard that before in the context of the discussion, I flip it and I say, just flip it to the generosity of knowledge. Yeah. And it's true. It sounds like Aesop's fables. It sounds like parochial school 101. Yeah. But the more that you and I can take knowledge and flip it to people who have questions that need answers, what happens is as storytellers, we go from creating awareness to building authority. Mm -hmm. And when we talk to our clients, which are surgeons, they understand authority. They don't need me to expound on authority. Mm -hmm. Authority means that patients look at them in a differentiated way and they realize that trust is the real currency of storytelling and marketing and what you're doing and the team that you're building in taking trust and giving us a framework yeah. of storytelling that blends craft and commerce it gets interesting quickly well thank you that's a that's a resounding uh, positive for for us but i think that is at the core of of what we're trying to do right um there, there needs to be uh, trust built into the storytelling process as you're talking about. It needs to be authority built into it. Um, but ultimately, those first principles of storytelling, they've existed forever since we were painting on, on cave walls, right? Um, and again, I think part of the reason that we've kind of gotten away from uh, what's truly core to storytelling is just we have so many different mediums. We have so many different uh, inputs um, that it gets tough to, to think about what's first principle. And what you're talking about, authority, narrative, uh, understanding, flipping, you know, the curse of knowledge into the generosity aspect, that's story through and through, right? And uh, I think that's what gets me really excited to talk about this topic, especially with someone that is, is equally passionate about it. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a good insight I think I hope our, our audience here can take away. Yeah, many audience or many people who are becoming storytellers truth be told, they're afraid to enter into a David versus Goliath protagonist versus antagonist. Yeah. They are afraid. I use that word carefully, but I mean it yeah. the way that it sounds. They are afraid because you see, there's this mindset, especially in business, mm -hmm. as you apply storytelling to business, there is this mindset that says, if we just don't talk about the elephant in the room, yeah. whatever that is, pricing, problem, crappy product, whatever we want to identify the elephant in the room, if we just don't identify it as part of our language, yeah. then it'll be swept under the carpet. And it's not the case. I mean, storytelling at the fundamental level is taking a problem and having conflict and conflict resolution. Yeah. And I think in life, as in storytelling, most people are afraid to go toe to toe with conflict. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's an outstanding point. And running towards the conflict, uh, embracing the suck, if you will, uh, and this this might be something you can hearken to as well, given your military background. Uh, but that's that's what you do, right? There's nothing uh, in life that's worth doing if it's not hard. In a lot of cases, and storytelling is one of the hardest things because it exposes a lot of our vulnerabilities. Right. So that might be when it comes to fear and, and anxiety over 
even taking that first step, that first little toe in the water in storytelling, well, gosh, I'm going to be exposed. I'm going to be put out there. I'm going to have to show my vulnerabilities to the world or to my boss or to my peers or to my family. And I think getting over that initial kind of psychological hurdle, once you've done it once, you can do it twice. Once you do it twice, it's a compounding effect after that. And there's really nothing getting in your way, right? That's right. In life, as in storytelling, change occurs where there's problems, yeah. where there's conflict. That's where change occurs. Yeah. So I, I would source who said this if I knew who said it, but I love it. Your message is in the messiness or, or you know, I mean, we, we can find the value of that, that if there's something messy sure. in your business, in your industry, that's what you should be talking about. That's what you should be leading with. Because you see, we started this conversation with the word context. Mm -hmm. And the mistake that I see that most people are making is that they're creating stories that are almost absent of the fact that we're in a pandemic. Yeah. And so if you understand how context meets content, then you would embrace the word pandemic, plague, COVID-19. You would embrace that. Yeah. You would embrace the fact that your story has something to do within the relevance of, you know, people running scared, yeah. people in industry pivoting and reframing how they do business. Yeah. And so what we've learned in our own storytelling uh, kind of advancements yeah. is to embrace the context of the time. And then like any great story pivot from here's where we are. Here's where we're going yeah. from here to there. And if you're listening audience, just got anything out of this basic matrix, take people on a journey with your story from here to there. It is Sir Isaac Newton 101. That which goes in motion stays in motion. Yeah. Take somebody on a journey as briefly as possible, as creatively as possible from here to there. And they will associate you as meeting them at every step in that decision making and that journey stage. It's just called great storytelling 101. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that, that's huge. I, I love the visualization of from here to here. I think that that's huge. A lot of people think, well, gosh, where do I start with this story? Like I don't have a hero. I don't have an antagonist or a villain. Uh, I don't have an inciting incident if we want to get jargony for our, our screenwriting. Mm -hmm. folk. Um, but I think if you were to boil it down, right, there's a protagonist. And most people, when they start with storytelling, the protagonist or the hero is themselves, right? But little known fact, it doesn't have to be you that's the hero. It should actually be your audience that's the hero, right? That's right. Self-awareness, yeah. self-awareness, self-awareness. Yeah. If you meet self-aware people in real life, they make the conversation about you. Yeah. They make you feel like you're the most important person in that room. Yeah. And hopefully in our life, We've got generous, self-aware people that make us feel special. It's the same in storytelling. Yeah. And what happens in that hero's journey, Joseph Campbell is a great reference book, yep. Donald Miller, Story Bram, 
is what they've identified is that if you can make someone else the hero in their journey, by default, people will find themselves within your story. And the reason why it doesn't work when you and I make one another the hero in the journey is because it is isolated to us. We don't give people the, the left and right margin to find themselves in our story because it's unique to us. Yes. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. No, that's huge. So we know that the hero has to be about the audience. We know that the next step is identifying the, the, the antagonist or the villain, right? A lot of people think, well, I sell cloud computing for a living. What's, what's the villain? There's no, uh, you know, uh, cloaked and daggered uh, type of, you know, black hooded figure. Well, the, the, the villain in that might be on-premise servers and all the bad things that it does for your business productivity. Um, so what, what do you guys see when you're trying to frame up kind of the, 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 uh, the villain, if you will, in some of your uh, storytelling for, in your industry? Yeah, I, um, I do something called tap dance on pain. Um, it's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Um, let me put into context for a moment. Our clients are neurosurgeons, spine surgeons, medical technology companies. Our clients understand pain. Mm. They're in the pain business. So I'm giving away my secret. What I do is I crush their sternum with the pain that they convey to me. I tap dance on their sternum. Yeah. And I mean that respectfully. Yeah. And what I mean to say by that is that when I'm speaking to a surgeon, and I'll give you a real world example, it just happened yesterday. When I say to them, respectfully, doctor, you don't need a new website. You just need a way to align your perspective with a patient. Mm. We're not going to charge you a penny for that. Or when I say, and I've never, ever, this is an open challenge. I've never, ever, ever, ever since 2008 had a doctor accept my challenge. I go, Hey doctor, here's a real quick challenge for you. You're thinking that you need to hire us to amplify your brand. What about this? Let's talk about the one, two, or three biggest patient problems. I've got 650,000 patient feedback assessments every month. Oh. And doctor, would you believe me that the number one issue is the doctor in the practice doesn't respect my time? So doctor, can you give an unconditional guarantee that you will value their time and their appointment will be at 1015. I've never, ever had a doctor accept me on that challenge. But what I just did there, Trent, was I took patient pain and I said to our clients, are you interested in shouldering these challenges and problems in a compliant and doable way? And then our team is just going to put voice and words and expectations around your marketing so that trust becomes your currency and literally and figuratively your reputation becomes your bank account. Yeah. And it's, it's a way that we have taken doctors off the, the pivot of, hey, feed the agency. We want to pay you $10,700 to do our website. I'm just using in a storytelling framework, sure. protagonist, antagonist, et cetera. I just simply say, instead of starting with that, 
are you okay if I speak to you in a language that mirrors how you speak to your patients? Excellent. History, diagnosis, and prognosis. And Trent, I've never had a doctor say no because I'm using language that they use every day. And at the end of that summary, here's the history, here's the diagnosis, here's the prognosis of the health of your brand. Mm -hmm. They either are, there's this I word again, they're either indifferent, they, they literally and figuratively don't buy my story. Sure. We can talk about that. Or they say, yes, tell me what we should do next. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the manifestation of story using practical, uh, application, which is, I think exactly what I wanted to extract out of your, uh, substantial brain, Matthew. So that's, that jargon becomes important. You know, Donald Miller got it right when he said, if we use communications and language that causes people to burn too many calories, too many mental calories to understand. Donald Miller got it right when it's our responsibility. It's actually the most efficient and honorable thing that we could do as business people is to realize that if you're not a storyteller, then your ability to incite curiosity, increase awareness, lower marketing expenditure, increase pre-qualified leads, it's your own fault. Right. It's your own fault. And so what I love about what you're doing is you're giving us a framework. You're giving us a roadmap of from here to there that we can apply in different industries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's perhaps going to make its way onto our homepage somewhere. So nice. uh, we'll make sure to credit, credit uh, the illustrious Mr. Matthew Scott with that. No credit needed. Just, <laughs> just continue to help people the way that you are and, yeah. and asterisk credit given. Yeah. So before I let you go, and this has been just power packed with awesome insights, um, you owe me actually a story. And that story for the people that are listening in an audio version and not on the video version, there's a sword positioned behind Matthew on this back wall. And it appears to be, is that a flag draped over it? It's actually in a, it's actually an Iraqi scarf, which can be part of the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this, this isn't a play sword. This looks to me like forged from steel with a real grip and a real handle. And the first few times Matthew and I talked via zoom, I said, man, you got to tell me the story about the sword. <laughs> so if we're talking, if we're telling stories about story, I got to know the story about the sword. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. So Let's, let's talk about the sword. Um, so my uh, lineage is Scottish. Um, you know, uh, father, grandparents from Scotland, um, you know, first generation American. Um, and, and that sounds interesting in this day and age. We don't think of, quote unquote, you know, necessarily first generation Americans. And all that. But uh, my father was a proper Kingsman. He was, hey, uh, Colin Firth had nothing on my dad. My dad was a proper Kingsman. And um, so I always had a appreciation and a history of, you know, where we came from in Scotland. So I was hired to be a VP of sales and marketing for a biotech company in San Diego. And 
I made the decision that we needed to be disruptive. And so my decision was to hire only military officers with zero sales experience. They could not have any sales experience, period. And when I went to the board of the directors, we were, pub- we were taking the company public, we were you know, going on Wall Street. When I told them that was my strategy, no joke, Trent. They said, Matthew, you've got a lot of good ideas. I just don't think this is one of them. <laughs> and I told them, I said, guys, we're selling a non-FDA approved process, not even a product. We need people who can receive the word no, and they don't know what to do with that. They, they have no clue what no means. They, they have the ability to pivot and adapt and be flexible and be nimble. And I said, when the experienced sales rep is sucking his thumb in the parking lot, our team of men and women, former military officers, they're going to find pivots. They're, they're going to find pivots. So the board of directors approved of that. We did that. We went to a big job fair and I borrowed a page out of Steve Jobs whenever he was recruiting the then CEO of Coca-Cola. So Pepsi-Cola, Frito-Lay and all this, they were offering people all these jobs. Me and my national sales manager who I hired, we dressed up in surgical scrubs and a Patch Adams white lab coat. Everybody else is in the standard IBM Pepsi-Cola suit. We're there in scrubs. And I stand up in front of a group of hundreds of of candidates. And I said, if you want to sell sugar water, then go to work for Coca-Cola. If you want to sell salty flour, go to work for Frito-Lay. And I cast a peripheral vision glance at the leadership of those companies. And Trent, they were like throwing darts at me. Like, who is this putz? Who is this pud knocker bashing us? And I kid you not. Nobody wanted to work for Coca-Cola or Frito-Lay that day. They wanted to work for Macropore Biosurgery. And we had, it was, so we had so many people that wanted to interview with us that we had to extend our stay. So here's where the sword comes in. We assemble this team, this ragtag, you know, misfits. And for, I mean, they're brand new to sales. Yeah. And all we focused on was how to compliantly and creatively sell, Mm. period. I said, I could give a rip if you understand the mechanical properties of 70, 30 copolymers. (laughs) Again, my board's like, you know, comprised of MDs. They're like, oh man, here we go. (laughs) And sure enough, it turns out that if you can sell compliantly and creatively, the price of having a career is learning what you sell. I I told our president, I go, that's not the big deal. These are all people armed with master's degrees. They're smart people. They're not going to have any problem learning the technical tradecraft. So we, we got a brand new building in San Diego and we hired 20 sales consultants and they presented me with this sword, (laughs) a William, it's the, it's the William Wallace, you know, sword. And it meant a lot to me. Um, And what, what it, meant to me honestly was not that I was the key figure in this but it was sim 
it, it was symbolic that they knew that we were going up against the British. Yeah. We were undermatched and we were willing to hike up our pants and flash the British and then run towards the sound of yeah. battle. Yeah. And, and so I've kept that sword with me everywhere that I went. And the, only, and the reason why I hang the Iraqi scarf on there is it reminds me that whether you're in real battle or symbolic battle, that we're all human beings. We all want the same thing. That Iraqi soldier uh, with that, who gave me that scarf, he wanted to take care of his family. He wanted to stay out of the political fray. He wanted food on his table and he wanted his kids to get a good education. He was there for different reasons than I was, but he wanted the same thing. And I respected him and treated him the way that I would want to be treated if I was captured. And that's a story in and of itself. And so those are reminders to me that during a pandemic, if you're listening to me, you don't have to have a William Wallace sword in your backdrop. But what I will tell you is, is that some of you are hunkering down in a foxhole and you're waiting for this storm to pass. And you should be running towards the sound of the gunfire because it's the safest place to be. Yeah. Don't hunker down. Go with your gut. Connect with people like Trent and I are connecting with each yeah. other and with other people. Ask for help. I think you will find in general that people are helpful. They'll tell you what's working for them. And if you do that, if you ask for help, wait to be impressed by people that say, absolutely, let's talk about what's working for me in a way that might be helpful to you. That's outstanding way to, to wrap that up. And of course you'd never disappoint with your storytelling. And I think the, uh, examples that you gave, not just with the sword, but with the scarf as well. One thing that I'll, I'll just put my two cents on before we wrap it up, um, that those stories work, one, because they're real, they're authentic, two, because they make you feel something, right? They put, they put me in a different place in my mind, and they immediately had me drawn in, leaning in. Literally, my body language went from back here to leaned in, because you want to hear what's next. And um, you can apply that across business, across wh whatever it is. And uh, that is the, the true power of story. And that's why I wanted to get uh, Matthew, his majestic beard, and uh, his, his incredible storytelling on with us today, because that's, uh, that's the power of this, of this all. There's going to be listeners that are not thinking that storytelling is a sales and revenue multiplier. Yeah. And we have an opportunity to shift them and say, this is as practical and pragmatic yeah. as any tool that you have in the growth of your business. And if you can learn how to tell a story that's truthful, that's interesting, that's relevant, and that creates enough curiosity that the person that you're trying to serve and do business with says, tell me what we do next. Yeah. That is such an efficient way to decrease the amount of time that it takes people to say yes or no. Yeah, absolutely. So well said. Matthew, thank you for the infinite wisdom. Um, I hope this is the first of, of many conversations we have with, with this group of, of our audience. Um, if people want to find out more about you and really, 
I think one of the best things that I would suggest is actually watch what Matthew's doing on LinkedIn. Uh, people might hear like, oh, three to four posts a day. Like, gosh, I have a hard time coming up with even three ideas per month. Watch what Matthew's doing and find him on LinkedIn. And, and you're at Matthew Ray Scott. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, the Ray is a nod to my Kingsman father, the big yeah. D who passed away. Uh, Matthew Ray Scott on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, if, if you want to connect for people that are listening to this, um, I always have a schedule of 15 minute chat uh, by design. Um, last point, um, your cranial flap will blow off your head if you try to connect with people for anything past 15 minutes. Yeah. Would you believe me if I told you that when we beta tested working with our busy clients, that the minute that we said schedule a 15 minute chat, we three X'd our consultations. Wow. And so I'm learning from that. And so I'm saying to you, if you're a listener and I get to talk with people all the time, they're either starting a job, they're either at a messy middle point in their career, or they're interested in perhaps needing our particular help. Yeah. Making yourself accessible and available. I love meeting. It's how you and I met. We yeah. hopped on a Chris Walker um, podcast. We connected, um, et cetera. And from that, it's framing a friendship that will lead to a business relationship where we can help people. So Matthew Ray Scott on LinkedIn. And then our portfolio is feed theagency.com. Excellent. Excellent. There's going to be another story that we're going to have to uh, hear about the naming and the branding of your own agency, which I think is going to be a good one. Too. It's called when I had more money than sense, I went to culinary school. That's yeah. a whole nother. And my wife goes, do you want to be a chef? And I'm like, no way. I just want to impress our buddies on Friday nights. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's outstanding. Well, we'll have to get that one queued up. We'll have to get your, your psyops uh, background queued up as well. Um, but again, Matthew, thank you so much for taking some time today with us. Um, again, we discussed uh, what is storytelling, why storytelling should matter, and then how to apply it uh, day to day. And uh, again, you were so supremely helpful in uh, framing up a lot of this conversation. So thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the questions. Awesome. Once again, let's give it up for Mr. Matthew Ray Scott president and principal at Feed the Agency. He dropped a lot of knowledge bombs here for us and hopefully you can learn uh, how to take storytelling with you in your marketing efforts and in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, stay tuned for the next episodes. If you could please rate, review, and subscribe it would mean a lot to us. And if there's anybody that you think would get good value out of this podcast episode, please, please, please send it their way. Signing off, this is Trent, and this has been Creator Stories brought to you by prewrite.com. <laughs>